in week four. This is the last week of our series, Things That Jesus Never Said. And we've looked at a whole bunch of topics. What did Jesus not say about forgiveness? Do we have to forgive others? What did Jesus not say about our happiness and living a blessed life? What did Jesus have to say about us always having good days? But today we're gonna be prodding and looking at the most sensitive part of the human anatomy. The wallet. <laughs> I'll put it here so I don't forget. What did Jesus not say about money? Let me give you a few things. The Pharisees questioned Jesus saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus replied, store up for yourselves riches on earth for cash is king and money makes the world go round. Jesus never said that, just so you know. No, no, it's not, it's, it's not that scripture. That's the real, we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus never said, the thief comes to kill and rob and steal and destroy, but I have come that they may have a hefty Swiss bank account or money in your couch if you prefer. Jesus never said that. He never said, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will go from rags to riches. He never said that. Very truly, I tell you, if you love me, you'll put your money where your mouth is. Jesus never said that. He never said this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Here's your golden handshake. Jesus never said that. If you're new to the church, if you've been here a few weeks only, uh, you'll actually know we don't talk about money very much, maybe once or twice a year. Now, churches can make one of two mistakes. They can either talk about money a lot, every service, make you feel bad, highlight maybe the unhelpful things about the gospel being prosperous, or a church can, on the other extreme, talk about money too little, and that's equally as bad. I would say, as a church, we're probably more on this side, right? So don't think, oh, this is the first time in the church, they're always talking about money. It's not the case. But when we talk about money, it can be awkward. Sometimes we feel guilty about how we're using it or how we're not using it. We might feel embarrassed that we don't actually know how to handle it properly. We might be too ashamed to ask someone for help with our finances. But actually, it should be an area of our life that there should be freedom. Just like when we get saved, when we put our faith in Jesus, God changes us in line with his word and his kingdom, our speech starts to change, our thinking starts to change, our motivation starts to change, our priorities change, how we parent, how we do marriage, everything changes when you're in God's kingdom, so also it should be the same with our money. It's not a special part of life that is not subject to the reign of Jesus, it should be just like any other part, but we get so worked up about it, and we'll probably see why in a moment. We look at how people around us spend money. We see how advertising and media, they try to vie for every extra rand we have to spend it on this thing or do that thing with it. But let's look at what Jesus did say about money and our giving. So turn with me to Matthew chapter six. We're gonna read from verse 19. Jesus says, this is what he actually said, do not store up, underline not, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then straight from that, he says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? It's a rhetorical question. We are far more valuable than birds. Why do you worry about, oh sorry, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want to tackle this morning looking at three kind of big points. The first one is about the heart, and Jesus starts off speaking about our heart, and what he's saying firstly is that earthly wealth can come and go, but heavenly treasures endure. They last forever. They're eternal. Money, he's saying, is an uncertain thing here on earth. It's not dependable. You can't put your trust in it, and he says, Don't put your trust in money, in earthly things, because they're not dependable. Actually, there's a short-term benefit possibly to money, but store up for yourselves riches in heaven, because those things will last, will outlast money by far. The next thing he says is that your heart, your motivation, your life will follow your treasure, What does that mean? The thing that you treasure, the things that you value, that are important, that you prioritize, those things, your heart will follow your passions. Your life will follow them. That's just human nature, right? For many of us, our heart follows our wallet, which is what Jesus is trying to point out. Your life will go in a direction of what you value, what's important to you, most of all, the thing you prize, most importantly, your life goes in that direction. And Jesus says, don't put your life, don't entrust the meaningful value of your life to something as uncertain as money. Rather, invest it in eternal things. Then he gets more direct. He says, you can't serve both money and God. You can't have Jesus as your God and money as your God. And just by the way, if you haven't realized, money is a lousy God, right? If you put your hope and trust in money, it will disappoint you. It will let you down. It might promise you amazing things, but I can guarantee you it will let you down. It cannot give you love, hope, freedom, joy, salvation, liberty, Life eternal, it can't give you that stuff. Listen to what 
some other scriptures say. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the heart. Money itself is not necessarily evil. It's how we treat it. It's our heart. It's our attitude toward it. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Proverbs 11, he who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish. Another proverb says, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know that a poverty mindset is not a function of your bank balance. Having a poverty attitude to life doesn't, it's not dependent on how big or small your bank balance is. Because Solomon says, he was one of the wealthiest men on earth. He says, those who long for more wealth, who's never satisfied with their income, they've actually got a poverty mindset. You can have very little in this life and be free. Not have, you could have a generous, wealthy mindset. Your bank balance doesn't determine your attitude towards money. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't run after all these things that everyone around you is chasing, clothes and the body and food. And let's put it into 2022 context. Don't run after things like cars and holiday homes and and uh, trust funds and private school fees. Jesus says those things aren't bad, but if you make them the focus of your life, they will never satisfy. Don't run after them. Don't pursue them. The point Jesus is saying is that we seek first his kingdom. We follow him, and if we make him the priority, if we make him the point and the purpose of our life, he says, I know you need this stuff, but if you follow me, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Many of us forget that last point, okay? We are to, on purpose, seek his righteousness, be holy, live according to his words. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he says, all these things will follow after you. God will give them to you. He knows that you need them. Jesus says in one of the gospels, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What does it mean that you have a massive bank account and yet you've had no meaningful impact on the lives of other people? The last point under the heart kind of thing is that handling money is a test. I don't know if you've thought about it like that. Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, if you've not been faithful with handling earthly wealth, who's gonna entrust you with true riches? In other words, God looks at how we use our money. He's not subtle. He's quite clear about it. It's quite in your face about it. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25 where a wealthy landlord goes away for a long time and he's got three servants. Well, he probably has a whole lot more. But he pulls out three and he says, I'm going away. Here's one talent of gold, a big bag of gold. Here's two and here's five. Go and do something with it while I'm away. I'm entrusting you with this big amount of money right? He goes away. He comes back after a long time. And when he gets back, he calls the servants and he says, what have you done with what I've entrusted you? And the first says, look, I've doubled what you've given me. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The second one also says, I've doubled what you've given me. Well done. The third one says what? Hey, I buried it. I didn't know you really. I didn't put my trust in you. 
And there was a consequence for that person, that servant who did not do what the master had asked. In other words, how we handle money matters to God. God looks at how we spend, budget, invest, save, give, whatever. God looks at that and says, I am examining you. The test is in. You're writing it today. Every time we get paid at the end of the month, there's a test. He says, I'm watching because if you're faithful with handling little stuff, worldly wealth, I know I can trust you with greater things, kingdom things. So that's about the heart. The next thing which I want to minor on is tithing. Jesus never said this. He never said, don't need to tithe. You know, tithing's old covenant and it's the law and now we're under grace, we're in the new covenant, so don't worry about tithing. If you don't know what the word tithe means, it means a tenth or 10% of your income. Many people say that. I don't need to tithe as a Christian because it's old covenant, we're under grace, there's freedom, we're not under law. But actually, tithing came in before the law. Abraham, before there was a Mount Sinai and all the commandments, Abraham tithed from the spoils of his war, of his victory. It's not a good reason to not tithe. First point on tithing, Matthew 23, Jesus endorsed tithing, all right? He didn't say, you don't have to do it. He endorsed it. Second aspect is that tithing returns to God what rightfully belongs to him. Numbers chapter 18 says, the tithe is holy, it's set apart, it's dedicated to the Lord. It's his, not ours. Tithing next reminds us of who our provider really is and is a visible, not visible, but a concrete act or action saying that we put our faith in God that he can do more with 90% than what I can do with 100%. Hundred. If I don't pay the tithe, I got a hundred percent. God can do more with what's left over the ninety percent. Okay. All right. Sorry. Maths on a Sunday. I shouldn't have done that. Hey. Oh. My bad. My bad. I'm sure Jesus only preached during the week, so it was maths. Maths was easier. Yeah. You know what tithing also does? Tithing shows that our heart is not tied to our wallet with like a solid steel thing, right? It shows that we love God more than we love money. The act of tithing shows that we're not, this is not our God. And I think that a Christian who uses any excuse, now I've seen and heard and read many of them, a Christian who uses any excuse not to tithe, I just wonder if their heart's not in the right place. That maybe they're just selfish, they're too scared to admit, actually, this is my God. I'm selfish, I'm living, my treasure is is worldly things. Maybe they haven't yet got freedom that God brings us. In the Old Testament, the tithe was used for the Levites, the, the, the tribe of priests that were meant to worship God and carry on the ordinances to him in the temple. That's what it was used for, right? Now you could say, well, the new covenant, we're all priests, this body is the temple, I don't need to tithe. But in the Old Testament, the the temple was the place where the organized or the structured activities or the worship of God happened. And in the New Covenant, the local church, this is the place where the organized or planned or structured activities of God happened. 
In the Old Testament, it was an agrarian society, and so they were all farmers, and they brought a tenth of their harvest, a tenth of their produce into the storehouse, and it would feed the Levites. And so if this is your storehouse, if this is the local church that you call home, this is where you should be tithing. And I'm not going to say much more about tithing because I want to minor on it today because God says we should tithe. We're expected to tithe. If you have any questions, please come and chat to one of the elders or one of the leaders. Don't leave here if you like upset. Oh, I don't want to tithe because of, please come and chat to us because there is freedom. This thing of God does not bring bondage. It brings liberty. It brings life. It brings wholeness. When we pattern our lives according to God's word, there's a blessing and we walk in his presence and his favor. It's not a magic trick to get more money. Don't believe those preachers. It's honoring God and living righteously. The part I really feel like to highlight today, this third point of giving. I wanna go through some principles of giving uh, that we find in the Bible to help bring truth to how we live. The first part about giving, and this is over and above our tithe. We don't reallocate our tithe and call it an offering. It's over and above. The first thing is we have to give with faith. Hebrews 11 verse six, without faith, we cannot please God. So we can't give in unbelief. We can't give in fear. (gasps) If I don't tithe, something's gonna go wrong in my life. My car's gonna get flat tire. God's gonna send a lightning bolt. If you're tithing out of fear, friends, that is not the way to tithe. Can I pray for you afterwards to let God set you free? We give with faith, knowing who God is. Luke chapter one, Zechariah, this is when the angel visits Zechariah in the temple. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were gonna be the parents of John the baptizer. And they were old, past childbearing years. They wanted a kid. The Bible says, Luke chapter one says, they were blameless and righteous. That he was of the priestly order. He was a Levite. And he was faithfully doing his duties. He was serving God his whole life, right? It says that they were blameless and righteous. While he's serving in the temple, an angel appears, Gabriel. God's heard your prayers. You're gonna have a son. This is what he's gonna be like. You know what? Zechariah says, I'm not sure I believe you. How can I be sure? We're old. Have you seen Elizabeth? She's a granny, but she's not a granny. (laughs) She looks like a granny, but she's not a granny. There was, and then the angel said, you will not be able to speak because you did not believe my words. You know that we can be performing duties for God. We can have everything looking perfect on the outside, but there can be unbelief in our heart about something. The Bible says they were blameless and righteous. Everything looked good. He was serving God, right? And yet there was unbelief. Friends, don't let unbelief rob you of the joy of giving. The second aspect about giving is that it should be anonymous, right? Bible says we should not know, the left hand should not know what the right hand is doing. We should not parade our giving. Uh, if, If we're giving offerings to the new building that we're going to, Many of you know about it. You saw the message on the church group this week. We're not gonna have a a big offering box in front here and then we're not gonna see Brandon, the drummer, coming up with a big fat envelope and he's watching everyone, check what I'm putting in. Bloop. 
the Bible says be anonymous because you don't want Brandon to fall into pride. And we don't want to treat Brandon differently because he gave a lot and I didn't give a lot. Now, sometimes it's not always possible to give anonymously. That's okay. But don't let your heart be tripped up. Don't try and parade it like the Pharisees did. The next part about our giving is it should not be under compulsion. And here at Hope City Church, we will never talk up an emotional story and try and twist your arm or make you feel guilty or give you puppy dog eyes. One of my kids is very good at that. (laughs) I will bring them up on the stage. No, we would never do that and say, right, guys, you've heard how much money we need. Now, can you pledge to give something today? Before you leave, we would never put that pressure on you. I don't feel that's biblical. You're not supposed to give feeling pressure or feeling guilty or feeling like your arm's being twisted or you're being emotionally manipulated. Never, never give like that. What we've always said is go before God and pray and ask God what you should give because when you hear God's word, there's faith, right? Do any of you read the, the Bible app? And every day there's a verse of the day. Did anyone read today's one? You did. Anyone read it? You know what it was about? It was giving. I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. And this is like, for me, God confirming what we need to hear, right? Go, go and watch it afterwards. <laughs> Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Wow, God loves a cheerful giver. That's my next point. We should not give begrudgingly, like we feel like we have to. We give cheerfully. It's an exciting thing to give. The next point is that we should give generously. There's an interesting phrase uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. By the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 are two good chapters about giving. Go and read them if you don't know what to do for your quiet time tomorrow morning. But Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says to them, they were taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. He says to them, make sure, see to it, that you excel in this grace of giving. How's that? You know what excel means? It's not the spreadsheet, which, by the way, it's very good for doing money on budgets, just suggesting that to you. (laughs) Excel, do well, be good at Top of the class, first place, do well at giving. And he says it's a grace of giving. Do you know why he says that? We actually need God's grace to be able to give. It's not natural to give away our stuff or our money. Do you know that? Have you ever just given stuff easily? Well, maybe sometimes, but for the most part, deep in your heart, you know it's like, oh, this is hard. It's not natural. So he says, excel, do well in this grace of giving. And Jesus himself also said, give generously. Luke chapter 12, he tells a parable. And in this parable, there's a a farmer with a big farm. And the farmer, it's like everything goes right. The the stars align. He has a bumper crop. He harvests a massive harvest. And he looks at his barns. He says, these are too small. I must tear them down, build bigger barns. I can store all the harvest. and, And you know what? It's so much like I've won the lotto. I can just kick back and do nothing for a few years. I can retire early. It's Glennon's paraphrasing. And then Jesus says, what this guy doesn't know, that that night he's going to die. We don't know how he died or why he died. 
and all his money, is, all his wealth, all his harvest is not, and Jesus says, this could happen to anyone who's not generous towards God. How's that? Jesus says we are to be generous towards God, not stingy in hoarding it, but generous to people and generous to God. Our giving should be generous. This is a very important point, the next one. Our giving of money mustn't be a substitute for our involvement. What do I mean by that? Very easy to stand back and say, the church needs money for the new building or the, the outreach team need money for what they're doing or, or the orphanage we work with, they need money for X and Y. Fine, I'll give the money. But your heart is actually not really following God. You're kind of ticking a box. I'm doing something for church and the God. But actually, I'm just, I rock up once a month on a Sunday and I'm not involved. My heart, I'm not seeking the kingdom. I'm just, I'm outsourcing my faith. I'm giving money. I've done something. I'm off the hook. Some people can have that attitude. Our giving of money is not a substitute for our hearts serving, loving God, advancing his kingdom. This next point is also so important. Our giving, sorry, the previous point about the substitute, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, Paul says about the Macedonian churches, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's our heart. We give ourselves first to the Lord, and then whatever else he calls us to, and giving is part of it. There's a scripture for that. Next point, our giving must be within our means. In other words, you can't give if you don't have the money to give, all right? Don't go into debt to give. That might sound obvious, but it's so easy to get credit these days or to get a loan or to get whatever. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 says about this gift that the Corinthians were preparing. Paul says, if the willingness is there, in other words, you're not reluctant, but you're willing, you want to give, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. In other words, God, if you've got, God's not going to expect you to give more than what you have. Maybe you want to sell your second car and give, right? There's ways to free up assets, to have cash, to be able to give, right? But God's not going to ask you to give something you don't have. Please hear that. And there might be people here where if you look at your finances, at the moment you're struggling to tithe as it is. You're not even able to tithe properly, right? And you feel guilty about it. Please don't feel guilt. Pray for you. Let's live in faith and freedom. Let's trust God. But can I say, if, if you're not able to tithe properly, you are missing out on this grace of being able to give. It is a blessing. It's more blessed to give, Jesus says, than to receive. And if you are struggling financially, please come and chat to us because we want to help you walk in freedom and blessing. There's a, a um, who's with Discovery Bank? You don't have Discovery Bank. Sheesh, wow, only one. Interesting. I'm not going to ask who's with the other banks. <laughs> Discovery Bank, you can do a financial course, it's the Worth Online Academy. 
They give you like an 80% discount if you want to sign up and do this particular, it's basic principles of finance, not a Christian course, it's just how do you use your money, how you should budget and plan and save and all that kind of stuff, how you get out of debt, etc. That company has given this church, not, not Discovery, the company did the course, free access to anyone in the church who wants to upskill themselves in how to use your money. Because Jesus says, learn how to use it, it's a test. If you are struggling to budget, you're struggling to get out of debt, you're struggling financially, let God sort your heart out and pray for you today, but get some practical tips. Please come and chat to me, happy to sign you up for that course for free. Amazing course, I've done it. It honestly changed the way we look at finances. Jesus encouraged us, we've been through this, Matthew 6, store up riches in heaven rather than on earth. And Jesus basically said in Luke chapter 14, we should have a plan for our money. Jesus said we should budget, not in so many words. Luke chapter 14, he tells a parable, he says, who is gonna sit down or, or build a tower? Will you not plan and see if you have enough to finish the project? Jesus is saying, why would you start something building a house, building a tower, whatever it might be, if you know you can't finish it. In other words, you have to know what you have allocated for that project. You've got to have a budget. You have to have a plan with your money. That's what Jesus said. It sounds unspiritual. <gasps> Excel spreadsheet. What goes in? What? No. Jesus said, have a plan. Be practical. Candace and I, we, the way that we do our budget, we have a, on Google Drive, we have a shared Google Sheet. It's like a, the online version of Excel. And whenever she spends money, she writes it on. Whenever I spend money, I write it under her name. I'm kidding. I put on what I spend it on. And we can track real time where we are. And we have categories. Insurance that has to happen. Uh, all the stuff. Tithing is on there as a line item. We have a category for petrol because it's so expensive. Or if you have to pay the, um, the car license, we have a category for kids. When they want to do extra meals, you have to pay more and buy a, we bought a tennis racket this weekend. Um, we've got categories for grocery, everything we could think of. So we have a plan for our money. We know where it goes. We have a category for sowing and giving and being generous. And sometimes we give money away. Sometimes we buy people gifts. Sometimes we just lavish meal for people. It's in our budget every month, allocated. We like to blow that budget every month if we can because we love being generous. And where there's extra money that comes in unanticipated, like a 13th check or a performance bonus, we tithe on that, and then we still allocate more to give away from that. So we have a plan for our money. It's not because we holy, we're just over years, we've got better at it. Jesus says, have a plan for your money. Last aspect is that the amount that you give is not important. The actual amount, the number value is not important. Jesus like enacted this amazing thing. He was in the temple, he's in the treasury. And in those days they had like this offering box that everyone could see. And you'd walk in the queue and you'd take out your money and put it in, you'd walk past this big queue. And it says Jesus sat there watching it. It's like, it's so obvious. Like there's no subtlety about Jesus. He's watching people walk past and says the Pharisees, the wealthy people, when they came past, they put in lots of money. Do you know how we know there's lots of money? Because when you put in a big fat envelope full of notes, 
It floats down gently and you can't hear it at the bottom. But then there was an old woman who put in two copper coins and you can hear them, dung, dung. There was two. Jesus stands up and says, guys, look, here's a lesson. This lady gave more than all the others, not in rand value. She gave all she had to live on. It's not about the amount. I could give 10,000 rand to our building project. And you might say, wow, that's a lot. I might have a million rand left in my bank account. Brandon could give 100 bucks, but that's all his budget for guitar strings or whatever. He might forego some luxury to give, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And you might think, oh, Glendon gave more than Brandon. Actually, no, his sacrifice was greater than mine because I gave out of my wealth, Jesus said, but he gave out of his, and you're not in poverty, but for the sake of the example. Paul says, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously, 2 Corinthians chapter nine. When we look throughout the whole Bible, there's many other scriptures, but not gonna get to them. There are a number of places where God's people took up an offering to do stuff, a free will offering, beyond their tithe, beyond their, all the other things that to give in the Old Testament. I wanna just mention two of them very briefly. Exodus 25 and Exodus 35, Moses, or God commands the people to give, to take up an offering for building the tabernacle, that kind of tent thing where God would, his presence would be, right? And it says there that they brought their offerings voluntarily, willingly, and they gave abundantly. And that's what I would love our heart to be. Whenever we give for whatever, it would be voluntary, willing, and we'd give generously, abundantly. Another occasion is 2 Chronicles 24. We'll read that scripture in a moment. Where Joash becomes king. When he becomes king, he, he has a look at the temple. He says, hey, this temple has not been maintained. It's in disrepair. We need to fix this thing up. This is, does not look good. How can we worship God where the place is falling apart? So his idea, because he wasn't very good at DIY, that's not what the Bible says, that's what I'm saying. He wanted to hire workmen. That's what I would do because I'm terrible at DIY. He wants to hire some skilled people to go and repair and fix the temple. And this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 8. At the king's command, a chest was made and placed outside at the gate of the temple of the Lord. A proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required for Israel in the wilderness. That's the offering they brought in the wilderness for the tabernacle. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Isn't that amazing? What a, I would love us all for our hearts to be so transformed that this thing of money wasn't awkward and uncomfortable, but actually we're living in freedom. We can give gladly, abundantly, willingly. You know what generosity does? It, it reflects God. For God so loved the world, he gave. God is a giving God. And when we give of our love, of our time, of our care, friendship, whatever it might be, when we give, we reflect who God is. People see that. It's contagious. And so you know, if you've been around church for a few weeks, we're in a season of taking up an offering for our new building. 
And we are excited and thrilled and nervous as well at the same time. We're hoping to start building in the next couple of weeks and be in before the end of the year. It's just down the road, 47 Harris Road. We need about 400,000 rand. Sounds like a lot of money, right? We're hoping the landlord will cover about a third of that. That's what we're praying for. If I send met with the landlord and the budget this week, we're waiting for like some kind of final approval so we can begin bashing down walls, etc. And that leaves about 250,000 rand that we need. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. All the stuff we just spoke about, giving in faith, not being under compulsion. We're not trying to force anyone, but I want to say, friends, this is our time to be generous. The last time we took up an offering for the building was four years ago. This is a moment we have to invest in eternal things because the people who sowed money into getting this venue ready four years ago, they've seen the fruit of hundreds of people hearing the gospel, hearing God's word, finding a loving community and finding Jesus and this community around us being reached. Can you imagine what the next step in this journey looks like for this church? We have an opportunity now to invest that hundreds, maybe thousands of people will hear the gospel. How amazing this opportunity, this privilege that we have. And the reason I've preached this is honestly not to twist your arm. Don't commit to any figure today. Please don't. If you're married, <laughs> the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Please, husbands and wives, be on the same page. Don't let the one empty the bank account because God's spoken and the other one comes to put petrol in and there's nothing left. <laughs> We're not trying to cause marriage problems. Uh, please be, go hear God together. <laughs> I don't want you to make an emotional decision. I don't. I've preached this today because it needs to set us free. We can't have a worldly mindset about finances. We must have a kingdom mindset because God's kingdom is upside down. I want us all to go before God and our bank balance and say, Lord, how much should I give? And hear God, have faith. If your heart's not there yet, if it doesn't feel cheerful or willing, just wait a week. Don't give it yet. Get before God. Lord, help me sort out my heart. I want to be a generous, cheerful giver. Give the if your heart's not right the next week, come to church, we'll pray for you. <laughs> we'll lay hands on you. <laughs> Can we stand? We're going to end. I want to pray for us. And I felt to do something a bit different. And if you're new to this church, we don't do weird things like this often, I promise. We're quite normal and human. Please take out your wallet.